real change in anybody's life? Amen. Amen. So, Lord, we come to you and we thank you today that you meet us here and that you have good for us and that you are a way maker, a promise keeper, a chain breaker. Lord, you are the God that has all good, perfect gifts in your hands, and you send those to us. And so, Lord, we thank you today that we are recipients of good gifts. We pray that we can make the most of this time. We pray, Lord, that today, as we come together to open up your word, your word finds its place in our heart. And so, Lord, we give you honor, we give you praise today, Lord, for what you're going to do, what you've already done, what you're going to do. Father, we want to see that happen in our families. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys today. We are in a series called Into the Wild, um, just talking about um, we have a wild God. Um, and you say, well, that's kind of weird to talk about God like that. God shows up in wild ways. Um, we talked last week about God's wild presence, that uh, God shows up and that he would show up on the top of a mountain and blow the mountaintop up, right, with fire and smoke and lightning and uh, so when God shows up, it can be wild in, in, in certain ways. Uh, today we're going to continue in this series, Into the Wild, and we're going to go to 2 Kings is where we're going to start out this morning. 2 Kings is where we're headed. And so uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, if you want to go ahead and start turning there. Now, have you ever gone out to eat and you were disappointed with what you ordered? Right, this this has happened to me a time time or two where me and Raina we've gone out to eat and and vice versa. I mean, I, I'll look at at what she's got. I, you know, I think I know what I want, and I'm looking and I'm like, man, this looks really good. That sounds good. It all sounds good, right? And so I order, and then it comes and I see hers and I see mine, and I'm like, yours looks really good, right? And and then I say, can I try some of that? And then by the end of the meal, I'm like, are you going to finish that, right? Uh, that's just that's just what happens. So if you go out to eat with me, that's what might be what happens, right? And she does that to me. She uh, she'll like, oh, kind of, I kind of like what you had better than what I like what I had, right? So sometimes we're we seem somewhat disappointed with what we have, or maybe we don't appreciate everything of what we have. Um, sometimes maybe we wish we had something else, or we wish we had more of this, right? I wish I had a little bit more of this or more of that. And I'm not just talking about food. I'm just talking about life in general. You know, sometimes we always want a little bit more of something else. Uh, I wish I had another this or that, right? Um, maybe when uh, you think, hey, I'll be happy when this happens. Anybody ever thought that? You know, when this happens, I'll be happy, and then this happens, and you're like, oh, I'm not that happy. <laughs> it's, it didn't, didn't make me as happy as what I thought it would make me. And um, so today, you know, I want to talk a little bit about that. There was a guy by the name of John D. Rockefeller. How many of you guys know who John D. Rockefeller is? He's, he's no longer alive, but he was uh, one of the wealthiest men in the world, uh, had more money than what, uh, if he was living today, his, his monetary means would exceed that of Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos, right? So he would, he would exceed them uh, by exponential uh, margin. So he was super rich guy. And somebody asked him once, once they said, uh, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more, right? <laughs> just a little bit more. Anybody ever feel like that? You're like, just a little bit more. Um, and, and so today we want us to talk about this. Um, and the question that uh, I want to ask is, is one that hit I came across this question. It was just like I asked myself this question. I'm like, "Ooh, I don't, I don't like that question." So I'm going to ask it to you today. Um, yeah, you're, 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 you're welcome. Um, 
See, the problem that we have is more is never enough sometimes. Uh, we live in a world of dissatisfaction, and we live in a world of discontent. And so the question that was asked to me was this, what am I not enjoying right now? What am I not enjoying right now? How many of you guys, you're blessed, right? And so I, I feel I'm blessed. But when I was asked this question, what am I not enjoying right now, I think, man, are there things that I'm overlooking? Are there things that I take for granted? Are there things that I just don't appreciate? Are there things that I just ignore, right? And, and so what am I not enjoying? And some of you guys are saying, well, I'm not enjoying this message right now. So if you could hurry up. Uh, easy. Shots fired. Um, here we go. So what does it look like to live in God's wild provision? That's what I want to talk about today. What does it look like to live in God's wild provision? If God is wild and God's presence is wild, I also believe that God's provision is wild, that God is the kind of God who has everything that we need in his hands, right? And so what does that look like for us? What, what does that look like to trust a wild God, uh, not just for a wild presence, but for his wild provision? So let's go to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4. And we're going to pick up on a story here of a lady who basically she's in a bad spot in her life. Um, her husband has died um, and has basically left her with a lot of debt. And so she's trying to figure out exactly what to do with this. And some of you guys, maybe the story resonates with you because when you hear that, it's like, I, I feel like, I feel that. Maybe you know someone or maybe you yourself have, have been in this predicament where you've kind of been landed or left with, uh, you know, maybe debt or some kind of struggle financially. Now, um, this story, uh, basically, there's, there's something that precedes it. So before we, we read this, uh, I just want to set this up real quick. This lady, she was, uh, it, it said that she was married to a guy by the name of Obadiah. And Obadiah was basically the chief of staff to King Ahab. And so if you go look, I believe um, it is in 1 Kings chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, let's go there, Steve, before we go to 2 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18. This is who Obadiah was. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household, right? He's like his chief of staff. He runs things. And now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. He was a God-fearer. You know, he, he tried to live his life in such a way that pleased God. And when Jezebel, anybody know who Jezebel is, right? Maybe you've been called a Jezebel before. That was not a good thing, okay? When Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord... And, and literally, basically, she cut them down. She had them killed. Uh, and so she went out on this murderous pursuit on the prophets of Yahweh. Um, and so this is what that's talking about. When Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Okay, so that just kind of sets this up, who Obadiah is. Obadiah was a God who feared God. He loved God. Uh, he loved God's people, and, and so he saw what was happening to God's prophets, and he took a hundred of them and hid them in a cave, hid them in a couple caves, and not only did he hide them, but he fed them and kept them watered, okay? Kept them, uh, kept them uh, just with some sustenance. Now, I don't know about you, I have a family of four. Anybody? I, and uh, trying to feed two boys in my household is expensive. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about. Come on, Pastor, right? 
and just a family of four. Some of you are looking at it and I don't even have four, and it's expensive, right? And, and, and my son is home from college. Uh, good morning, son. Uh, yeah, he, and, but when he comes, he eats everything in the house, right? So all the fruit's gone. You know, anything that I go to get, it's gone. It's empty. Uh, so it's expensive having, uh, uh, you know, kids in the house that's eating everything out of, out of your house at home. So this woman that we're about to read her story in um, 2 Kings chapter 4, she's got two boys, and so they were a family of four. Their family size increased exponentially uh, when Obadiah took on these hundred prophets. Because can you think, now you're feeding a family of four, now you've got to feed a family of a hundred and four. How many of you like that problem? Right, yeah, that, <laughs> you, you talk about going and buying in bulk, um, and, and, and this was a, you got to think, this, this cost Obadiah something. To do this act, for him to step up and do this act, it cost him something, right? And so he, he couldn't go to Ahab, who was Jezebel's husband, and, and say, hey, Ahab, uh, you know, I need some money. Uh, basically, uh, he's going to have to foot the bill himself for this. And so you got to think about it. His, he's got this problem. He's trying to feed these, his family, and now he's trying to feed these hundred prophets who he's, he's hiding, um, and, and things are just not cheap. And so he dies. And we come to this story in 2 Kings chapter 4, and that's where I want to pick up. Let's read this. It says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets, and the sons of the prophets, it was like a school of the prophets, right? And so you just couldn't go register to be part of this school you had, you had to have a certain status about you. You had to know the Torah. You have had to, uh, you know, spent time studying. Uh, you, you had to have, you know, this is basically more of a calling, okay? And so this wasn't just something you just went and signed up for. This was a special group. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Right? And it should be obvious what he needs to do. Right? What shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in the house. And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. And then he said, go outside and borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. It's just a way of saying, get all the vessels you can get, right? Take all the vessels you can get, empty vessels. Then go in and shut the door behind yourselves, you uh, and your son, yourself and your sons, and pour into these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. And so she went in from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. And then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God and said, go, and he, and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest, right? And so this is a great miracle that transpires here. This is something that, is, that has happened. But her predicament when she's thrust into this comes from her husband doing this thing that was a good, a good thing, right? He did a good thing. Right. And now she's in a tough spot because there's nothing left but this little bit of oil that she has. And now the prophet has told her, he says, now, what do you have? She said, I ain't got anything. I don't have anything at all except for this little bit of oil. He says, now I want you to go take and pour that oil out. 
That, if, if that's all you have left, that doesn't sound like a good idea, right? I want you to go take this little bit that you have left and go pour it out. I, I don't know that I would been up to sign up for Elisha's uh, economic plan, right? Um, but this is where you, you have to look at, all right, am I going to trust what's going on here? Am I going to trust God or am I going to do what I think is best, right? So she does this. And just where we start here at this, this first point, doing what a, what's right may not always be what's easy. Doing what's right is not always the easy thing to do, right? And that's, that's where Obadiah's at. Obadiah did the right thing. He, he provided for these, these hundred prophets, but it cost him something, right? And so it's not an easy thing that he, he chose to do. And, and now his widow is being asked to uh, pour out this oil and trust this, this prophet, right? And that's not an easy thing to do because she said, that's all I've got left. I want you to pour it out. Really? Yeah, I want you to do that. I want you to pour it out. And, and so she's having to make a decision. Am I going to do... Um, what's right or am I going to do what's you know what's what's easy and doing the right thing is not always the easy thing to do and so we come to this point that she's got to make this decision and so she does she says I I'm going to make this decision and I believe what we can find here is this is that when God directs your steps he will put provision in your path when God directs your steps, when you're listening to what God is speaking to you, when you're saying, God, I'm interested in what you're saying. I'm not interested in what my fears tell me. We just sang that song. My fear doesn't stand a chance, right? Uh, I'm not interested in what fear is telling me. I'm not interested in what anxiety is telling me. I'm not interested in what uh, the enemy is telling me or, or, or some, somebody else. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. God, I want to know what are you saying, God, because that's what I want to move on. And so when God directs your steps, he will put provision in in your path. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3. I'm going to read it off the screen up here. And this is what it says. I love I love this passage. He says, "His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness." Basically, his divine power has given you everything you need for life. Do you believe that? I mean, we say we believe it right now because we're in church, and that's the Jesus answer, right? Because we always have to say the right thing when we're in church. But when, when, you're, when you're faced with that moment, when you're faced with that decision, all right, do I believe this? Do I believe this? Because there seems to be more month than money. There seems to be more opposition. There seems to be things that I'm facing, some crisis moments. What am I going to do? Who am I going to trust? And so this is where it comes down to it that we have to believe God's word and where he says his divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Next verse. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Don't you love that? How many you you, you glad to know that God has granted to you some promises? He's granted to you his precious and very great promise so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of, the, of sinful desires next verse verse five for this reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing right he's saying listen if you're doing all this stuff 
if you're putting all this stuff into work, if you're, if you're providing a space for God to work all this stuff in your life, if you have this that's increasing in you, they will keep you from being ineffective, unfruitful in your knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. Because what we're doing is this, is we're saying, hey, I'm taking God what you've given me, and I'm going to put it to work for me, right? I'm going to put it into action. And so for us, not only does God uh, want to direct our steps so he can uh, move us into his path of provision, he wants us to begin to trust his word. He wants us to begin to trust uh, his plan that he's setting out for us. Now, if I ask this question, how can we learn to trust God's provision? How do we learn to trust God's provision? How do we learn to trust in that? What does that look like? I love what Paul Tripp writes here. He says, uh, when I forget who I am in Christ, I quit pursuing what belongs to me in Christ. When, when I forget who I am, when I forget that everything for life and godliness has been given to me, I quit pursuing those things of God. So we have to remember who we are. We have to remember whose we are. And we have to remember what he has for us, that, that those of us who belong to him, right? So I have to remember who I am in Christ because then I can remember I can pursue the things that belong to me in Christ, right? So how do we begin to trust God's provision? First thing is this. We can't make God move in our lives, but we can make room for him to move. I can't make God move in my life, right? How many of you, you've, you've been successful in making God do what you want him to do? Yeah, I didn't think so. I haven't either, right? I, I, have, I haven't been successful in manipulating God. I tried that once, right? And you say, that sounds pretty bad, Pastor. I don't know. You've done it too, right? Where we start striking deals and making bargains with God. When I was in college, uh, I, I kind of felt a call on my life to ministry, but I didn't want to really admit to that. Uh, what I wanted to do was I wanted to go to be a, be a lawyer. And so I was telling God, God, I will be the most godly lawyer if you will let me go to school and, and pass the bar. And, God, if you will, I will be the most godly lawyer. God, I will, I will work for your kingdom. I'll do all this stuff. And you know what? God's like, that's not what I want you to do. But, God, I, I'm going to do this for you. I was like, no, you're doing it for you because you don't trust me to do for you what I know I can do for you, right? And, and that's it. I, I had trust issues. I knew what I wanted. I wanted to make money. I want to make a lot of money, right? My, my dad was a pastor, and I knew my, we never lacked for anything, right? But, but I never had the flashiest car. I, I, I never, all my friends were driving, you know, like four-wheel drive pickup trucks, and, you know, I pull into the parking lot in a 1972 VW, right? And I'd be, right? This is Ryan. Hello, right? And, and so I had a little bit of envy. I, I wanted something that somebody else had. Uh, although what I had was given to me, I didn't have a payment on it. It was free and clear of mine. Uh, I, I didn't really have to do anything for it except keep gas in it and, and, and keep it running. But I didn't appreciate it. I, I really didn't appreciate it at the time. And so I, I made these deals. I made these, tried to make these deals with God. And God said, stop. Stop making deals. You're, I'm not going to be manipulated. You're not, you're not going to twist my arm into trying to get me to do something that you want me to do. And so this this what we have to, to remember, that we can't make God move in our lives. But we can make room for him to move. And we have to create that space for him to move in our life. We have to create space or opportunities for God to work his miracle. I believe that God works miracles. 
I do believe that God has miracles for us. I believe that. Now, I know some of you maybe not have been raised in that tradition to believe that God still works miracles. I believe that. I don't see where that ever stopped. I see, uh, I, I see things in my own life. I hear stories that you've told me about, hey, this is what God has moved. I had a story uh, told to me just on Friday. This lady told me, she said, um, she had lost her husband, and uh, she was telling me this story about, you know what, I, I was really struggling about wh- whether to pay my tithe on this sum of money. I was, I was kind of in, a, in a, a tough spot, and, and you know what, um, I just went ahead and did it. I went ahead and I just trusted God, and I paid my tithe, and man, God blessed my socks off. She was telling me that story, and I was just like, I was just like man, that's awesome. I, I love that, because, and it, and it wasn't prompted. It was like I was guilting her into that. It was like something that she experienced that she was walking in, And it just blessed me because it just said, hey, this is it. This is how God's economy works. It doesn't work because we're we're piling up a big stockpile of money. It works because we trust God with whatever we have. Right? And, And so... And so we have to make room for him to move. We, we create space for God to do miracles. See, I believe this, that crisis is just an opportunity for God to show up in a wild way. I believe that. I believe that crisis moments are just an opportunity for God to show up in a wild way. Because that's what he does. He's the kind of God who steps into our mess and says, trust me with this. But God, you, and see, I don't know if you're like me, sometimes you try to tell God all the stuff. God, you, you don't understand what's going on. And God's like, I see everything that's going on. I see more than what's going on than what you see, Ryan. So I see the other side of this, right? And I'm still trying to, you know, plead my case to God. And he's like, stop. And, and so for us, we, we have to begin to see that these are moments that don't have to be obstacles, but they become opportunities, they become opportunities for God to move in and God to, to work a miracle in our life. So we can't make God move in our lives. I can't force God to do anything, but I can make room for him to move. Second thing is this. God won't use anything we have until we release it to him. God won't use anything we have until we release it to him, right? Um, and, and this is important because when we look at Exodus chapter 4, if you go read Exodus chapter 4, there's a story of Moses, right? And Moses is basically pleading his case to God of why he is not a good choice to go do what God's calling him to do, right? God, I am not a good choice. You've picked the wrong guy. I stutter. I have all these, uh, these things working against me. I am not your guy. I'm, I'm the wrong person for this job. And God's saying, you're the right person. Stop giving me excuses. I want you to go do this, right? And so basically... Moses is given his excuse, and he says, they're not going to believe me if I go, if I go tell them. What, if they say, the Lord did not send, send you to us, God, what do I do with that? And God looks at him and says, what do you have in your hand? And he says, well, I have a staff in my hand. God, it's a stick. He says, throw that stick on the ground, right? And I love this. I'll just read it here. And the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it, right? I would do the same thing, right? I'm serious, man. I I just kind of chuckled when I read that. I've read this a hundred times, and I chuckled last night when I read this. I would do the same thing, Moses. I'd be running for the hills. And and it, it turned into a snake, and he ran from it. And then God says, hey, pick it up by the tail. God, I really don't think that's a good idea. You just turned it into a snake. It could have been a staff and I'd have picked it up. 
Now you've turned it into a snake. I don't want to touch it. He says, pick it up by the, by the tail. He picks it up by the tail, right, and it turns back into a staff. And, and God is saying, listen, you're going you're gonna to do this because I am the God who is going to empower you to do this. I am the God who's going to provide for you. And, and he says, basically Moses was looking at everything he didn't have, and God was saying, you're missing the one thing you do have. What's in your hand, Moses? Use that, right? And so many times we miss what is sitting right in front of us. God won't use anything we have until we release it to him. Release it to him. You know? God won't use anything we have until we put it in his hand. See, God never asked Moses to use something he didn't already give him. He didn't ask Moses to use something he didn't already have. What do you have? Use that. I don't know, God. We do the same thing. We, we make excuses. See, I'll never know the full potential of what I have in my hands until I put it in God's hands. I'll never know the full potential. Moses would have never known the full potential of what a stick could do until he, he gave God that stick. And God says, I'm going to beat Pharaoh's brains out with this stick, right? I, I'm going to deliver my people with this stick. It looks like just a piece of wood, and I'm going to deliver my people with this, Moses. You have in your hand everything that you need because I am the God that gives you everything that you need, right? And so when we begin to change our perspective and say, okay, you know what? Maybe there are things that I've missed. Maybe there are things that I've not been releasing into God's hands. Now, God, I don't, I don't have a ton of money. But what are you doing with what you have? Well, God, if you would just give me a little bit more, then, then, God, I would trust you with that because I'd have, I'd have enough, right? And God says, I am enough. See, this is what he's taught me. Um, my parents tithed and they gave. And my parents weren't wealthy, but they always had everything that they needed, and they taught me as a kid to tithe and give, and that's what I've always done. And so when me and Raina got married, that became part of our life is that we tithed and we gave and we trusted God with what we had. And there was a period of time in our life where, where I, I lost um, about half of my income. And, and she didn't go back to work. And so we were living on like a third of what we had been living on before. And there was that question, okay, are you going to write those tithe checks now? God, we got less. <laughs> Are you going to trust me with the less that you have? You want me to give you more, but are you going to trust me with what you've got? And, and, and that, was, that was one of those, those times where we just said, God, we're going to trust you. We've been trusting. You brought us through. You're going to get us through. And he did. He brings, he brings people through who trust him. When we put our whatever it is in his hands, he makes it more. He makes it enough, right? And, and so... God won't use anything we have until we release it to him. So what's in your hand? What do you have? What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your house? Right? What does that look like for you? What, what is the thing maybe that you're overlooking? What is the thing that maybe you're, you're just, it just, it's not standing out to you. You're saying, God, help me to see what I have in a new way. And help me to use what I have, what you've already given me for your purpose, for your kingdom, right? What does that look like? I'm going to ask somebody to come play. See, we have to stop waiting for what we want and start working with what we have. There's, there's a difference between wants and needs. We know that. How many of you have been told that before? How many of you have told your kids that, right? 
There's a difference between wants and needs and say, this is a want, you know, this is what you need. God says the same thing to us, right? We have to stop waiting for what we want. God, well, if you'll just bring this about, I want this to happen. And so once that happens, God, I'll get up and do something. And God say, no, I've already given you what, what you need. Use that. Act on that. Take what's in your hand, Moses, and use it. It is more than enough. It will get you through because I'm the one who supplied it to you. And I'll be the one who supply everything that you need. This is his word, Philippians 4, verse 19. Philippians 4, 19, this is what it says. And my God will supply every want. Is that what it says? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. Guys, I've seen too much. I've heard too many stories. I've seen too many of your stories to to think that God can't do it. I've already seen God move and God work. I know that the God that we serve today is not a dead God. It's not the God of yesterday only. He is the God of yesterday, today, and forever, right? He is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so whatever I need tomorrow, He already knows, right? He already knows what I need. And I can trust Him with my needs. I can trust Him to create a path of provision for me. So what does that look like? I don't know exactly what that looks like for you. But see, that's your story that you've got to walk with God. I've got my own story. Me, me and Raina, we've been walking our own story with God for a while now. God, this is, this is where we're at. And so, God, we put what we have in your hands. Now deal with us to do what we need to do with it. God, let me be a good steward and good manager of this because, God, it doesn't belong to me. It actually belongs to you. So, God, help me do well with that. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for your house? What do you have in your hand? And what are you doing with it? Just stand with me. Whatever that is this morning, I, I know that God's here. And, and the same question to me is the same question to you. Are you going to trust me with it? Are you going to trust me with what you have that it seems like a lot? Or maybe what you trust, you're going to trust me with what seems like a little. Whether it's a lot or a little, you could trust God with that. He's more than enough. See, we don't trust our resources. We trust the source. God is the source. I can try to trust in my resources, which is looks like a bank account. It looks like, you know, uh, you know, monetary means. I can try to trust resources. But resources come and go. Right? God is here. He said he would never leave me nor forsake me. And so God is my source, whether I need something financially or whether I need something spiritually. Maybe I need something physically. Maybe that's your prayer this morning, is you're praying for something physically. God, I need a touch in my body. God, I need a touch in my body. And God, I believe that you're enough. God, I believe that you have healing in your hands. God, I believe that you're powerful. God, I believe that you have wild provision stored up for your children. God, I believe that. So, Lord, release that into us. God, we trust you. This is what we have. God, we put what we have in your hands. So, Lord, I believe that whatever you have in your hands, you'll release that to us. Father, we thank you. We thank you today because, God, 
You're not a man that you should lie. You don't tell us lies. You lead us in the truth. Lord, you lead us in your paths of righteousness. You lead us in your paths of provision. And Lord, sometimes doing the right thing is very seldom the easy thing. But God, it is right to trust you. Because you hold all truth. You hold all wisdom. You hold all power. You hold all provision in your hand. So Lord, we put our life in your hands. We put our cares and our concerns in your hands. We put those things that are stressing us out, consuming our thoughts, we put those into your hands, Lord. Because they may seem bigger than us, they're not bigger than you. God, we trust you. God, we trust you with our money, which is not our money, it's yours. God, we trust you with our children. God, we trust you with our homes. All these things, Father, we give over to you. We trust you with them. Because there are going to be times where we are not enough, but you are more than enough. And you are more than capable of stepping in in our time of need and meeting that need. So, Lord, help us to look with new eyes. Help us to look with fresh eyes on what we have in our hand, what we have in our home. Lord, that as we begin to trust you and we, we see you do a work for us, we see you do a work in us, Lord, that it'll be a testimony to those around us. God, that's what we want. We want to see you do, uh, God, just wild things. We want to see you do wild miracles, Lord, because we believe that you're the wild God that wants to step into our life. 